This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. Our guest today is Bill Buell. Glad to have you with us, Bill. Thank you, Bob. Thanks for having me. Bill Buell still writes freelance stories for the Daily Gazette, but has retired from his full-time job there as a reporter and feature writer after more than four decades with the Schenectady-based newspaper. Since May, Bill has been Schenectady County historian. And Bill Buell has just released his book on the life of Schenectady's socialist mayor, The book is titled George Lunn, the 1912 Socialist Victory in Schenectady. The book is available in local stores and from Troy Bookmakers Online and costs $16.95. Who was George Lunn? George Lunn was a very good man, Bob. He was born in uh, Iowa, um, went to uh, Union Theological Seminary in New York City, uh, got a job in Brooklyn as an associate pastor there at a Presbyterian church. And then he headed north to Schenectady in 1904 to become a, uh, become senior pastor at the First Reformed Church of Schenectady. In 1910, he leaves the uh, pulpit, so to speak, and runs for mayor on the socialist ticket in 1911 and Lo and behold, he's actually elected. <laughs> About that. And the book is now out, or I've seen uh, pictures of it, uh, of, the, of the cover. And on the cover is a photograph of George Lunn. And you and I have talked about George Lunn several times over the years, but I never realized, I mean, he's a real handsome guy. He was a handsome guy. He was. Uh, he had a magnetic personality, I guess you could say. Uh, Democrats and Republicans uh, both liked him personally. Uh, he was very—he was a very good politician and a very, very likable person too. And in, so, in addition to being Schenectady mayor, which I think he was for several terms, he also served in Congress and he was lieutenant governor. Yep, he won as a socialist uh, for mayor twice. Then he becomes a Democrat and wins. Um, the mayoral race uh, two more times. Before that, in between the, his second and third term as mayor, he's elected U.S. congressman as a Democrat from 1917 to 1918. And then uh, under Al Smith, our first Catholic governor of New York State, he becomes lieutenant governor, and he's that for two years in the 1920, I think it was 22 to 24. Mm. And he finally loses an election, right? The next election for lieutenant governor? Um, yep. Uh, he lost a couple of elections. When he went outside of Schenectady County, he wasn't necessarily as popular. Uh, and he always had these uh, roots to socialism, which uh, I think kind of hurt him. Uh, in the long run, uh, he had aspirations to become a, maybe the governor, maybe a U.S. senator. There was even talk of him being a vice presidential candidate, but those things never materialized. And I claim in the book that it was probably due to his earlier ties to socialism, hmm. as well as the fact that we had Al Smith and Franklin Roosevelt kind of control the party. Uh, they're probably the two most influential Democrats, you know, in New York history in the first half of the 20th century. And so he, getting around those two guys was kind of, and he was friends and allies with them, but 
they didn't leave much room for other people to shine. Oh, I see. But he was, I was wondering what his relationship specifically was with Al Smith, because what I was reading was that um, when Lund lost his la- last election or second try at lieutenant governor, at that time, it seemed like an odd system. The uh, you know, the Democrats would run two candidates and the Republicans, too, uh, right, for governor and lieutenant governor in separate elections. Right. And that was the last time, if I'm if I remember incorrectly, that's the last time it happened that way. Mm. Um, now, did George Lund keep preaching? You said he left the pulpit to run for mayor. Was that permanent? He never went back uh, preaching. Um, he did form a church. Uh, so he was he did have his own pulpit in much of 1910 and 1911, the United People's Church. Um, but he was uh, he was really busy speaking out of the area. He spoke around the Northeast and in, in Massachusetts. Um, and then there was some friction um, in that church as well. So he ends up kind of removing himself from that church by 1916, 1917, and he's he has pretty much stopped preaching by by that time. By the time he he becomes a U.S. congressman, he basically is no longer a minister. He's hmm. just a politician. <laughs> but but his original pulpit in Schenectady was First Reform, the, what they call the Dutch Reform Church. The big right. He church. came there in 1904, and he was incredibly popular. Um, he filled the pews, they say. Um, uh, First Reform had many rich members, the vice presidents of GE and, and the American Locomotive Company, and George Lund was preaching social justice. So by the time 1909 comes around, there are plenty powerful people in the congregation who are kind of disappointed in him because he's pointing fingers at corruption and bad working conditions, bad living conditions. People were flooding into Schenectady during that time to work for GE and Alco. So the uh, church consistory, which was a body of like 12 people, um, we're very upset with them. Um, so to avoid creating a rift in the church, George Lund resigns. The consistory voted against him, but they took a um, some kind of vote of the entire congregation, and it was clear that the entire congregation would have backed him. But he didn't want to be a divisive issue in the church, and perhaps he, by that time he had some political aspirations too, so that's huh. why he left first reformed in 1910. Bill Buell joins us, author of George Lunn, the 1912 Socialist Victory in Schenectady. That's a that's a powerful title there, Bill. I'm sure it's not lost on you that some of the things we're talking about kind of apply in uh, this current election uh, season in America for, for president. I mean, there there's a one candidate who's a socialist, and there's others who are the other, um, you know, public officials now who say they're socialists, and, but some are concerned, you know, in the Democratic Party, let's say, that, boy, running a socialist is not going to be... It's kind of the same thing, or, or is it? Or how are things different now? It's, or I think it is relevant. The story is relevant. Um, you know, socialism is a, a big word. It's a huge umbrella, and there could be a lot under it. Um, my book isn't political. I don't uh, argue uh, for socialism. However, if somebody might read the book and then maybe realize that 
socialism isn't inherently an evil word, I mean, that would be okay, too. <laughs> there's plenty of good examples of um, socialism in the world, and and then there's uh, some examples that aren't so bad. Well, for example, one, if I read this correctly, uh, regarded himself as a Christian socialist. What does that mean? Well, he believed that Socialism was the political manifestation of Christianity on earth, which uh, to me means that if Christ was in charge, this is the way it would be. It's just about mankind being more, uh, uh, thinking more about each other than themselves. Um, Lund was, uh, like I said, he was a very decent man. He was more concerned uh, originally about the more than about the hereafter than the here and now, but that changes because there's so many poor people coming in disconnectedity during the 1910s and 1920s. Mm -hmm. So um, he was just a really good guy, and the social justice doctrine is all about you know helping each other, helping the quality of life for poor people, not just rich people. And that's what Lund was all about. The book is titled The Socialist Victory in Schenectady. Were other socialists elected to a Schenectady government in 1912? Yeah, he carried the whole city council. Um, I believe there were five socialists were elected, uh, and I believe it was two Republicans and one Democrat. I might not have mm -hmm. the uh, numbers quite right, but uh, they did care. They had a majority in the city council. However, when he ran again in 1913, um, he loses, and then he runs again in 1915 as a socialist still, and he wins, but he didn't carry the city council that year. Hmm. So it was a whole different circumstance, yep. and then by the beginning of 1916, he's, he's had enough of the local socialist and the state party, and they have pretty much have had enough of him, too. He wasn't appointing <laughs> socialists to key positions. He would argue he was he was appointing the best people available. Hmm. And one of his socialist colleagues was uh, a prominent GE scientist. Um, can you tell us about that? Charles Steinmetz was uh, he's one of my favorite people. Uh, uh, a dwarf from uh, Germany came over in like 1888, I want to say. Starts working for the General Electric in 1894. He had been an ardent socialist when he was in Europe, but ever since coming to America, he'd been kind of quiet politically and wasn't really involved. But uh, when Lund is elected in November of 1911, he gets a hold of Lund and offers to volunteer his time to help him in whatever manner he could, and he ends up helping Lund create Central Park. Uh, free municipal garbage. Uh, Steinmetz was very much into education, and they built three new schools together and improved the quality of education in the Schenectady School District. Steinmetz becomes one of the uh, you know most popular people in the nation in in the late 19 teens, early 1920s, mm -hmm. and. Um, he had a little bit of falling out with Lund over World War One because he wanted the U.S. to remain neutral. But once U.S. is in the war, he uh, joins a commission to help improve uh, military equipment. He uh, you mean Steinmetz did? Steinmetz did. Yep. Yeah. So he really threw his weight toward the war effort. Um, 
when and when we were actually in the war, even though he fought against getting involved initially. Did Steinmetz run for public office? Yes, he also, uh, well, um, let's see, Lund appointed him president of the school board um, initially, but then he also, the next time he ran for um, president of city council, and he won. So uh, they were quite a team. They worked well together. And uh, Lund, you know, was a, a great scientist, uh, helped enhance the, uh, the power of electricity, the, the economics of it, the proficiency of it. And he really, uh, you know, helped electrify the world hmm. in the first two decades of the 20th century. Bill is referring to Charles Steinmetz. We're talking with Bill Buell, author of George Lund, The 1912 Socialist Victory in Schenectady, more with Bill in just a moment. The Historian's Podcast depends on your contributions to stay on the Internet. We hope you can help us out. We have our fundraising campaign underway. Go to uh, gofundme.com forward slash 2019 dash the dash historians, and you'll be able to donate online. It's easy. Uh, you can make uh, a donation of any size, and you can donate anonymously if you wish. Or you can send me a check, make a check out to Bob Cudmore, and send to 125 Horstman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. Bill Buell with us, who incidentally is a native of Glenville, uh, New York. I believe you've spent your whole career in uh, Schenectady. Is that true? Um, yes, for the most part. I, I did go to California briefly in the 1970s, but after about four months, I headed back home. Bill Buell is now the Schenectady County historian and is author of the book George Lunn, the 1912 Socialist Victory in Schenectady. Well, there's so much to talk about with this. For example, Lunn's elected, and with the whole socialist slate in, uh, in 1911, start serving probably in 1912. What does GE think of that? I mean, did that make it into the daily papers? GE, um, the president at the time was uh, Charles Amons, E-M-M-O-N-S. I'm not sure of the pronunciation. But he actually um, thought Lund was the right guy at the right time. Really? Yep. Uh, of course, the uh, Gazette and the Union Star at the time, they were very political uh, newspapers. The Gazette was the Democratic mouthpiece, and the Union Star was the Republican mouthpiece. And throughout the weeks running up to the election, they both warned the citizens how a vote for Lund would mean that GE and Alco would be, you know, heading out of the city looking for other places to move to. Uh, but that never happened, and Lund likes to point out uh, a couple years later how GE and Alco were at their peak production during the years that he was mayor. And like I said, the the one, the GE president, um, it's Charles Emmons, and him and Lund got along <clears throat> famously. So um, there were, you know, there obviously there were some people in the hierarchy that didn't like him. But uh, Charles Emmons maybe knew how to play the game and knew how to say the right thing, I guess. Huh. Now, um, when I looked up something about Lund and that wonderful source, Wikipedia, it said that what he and maybe he and Steinmetz did, talking about a park and um, schools and so forth, they called that sewer socialism. 
Uh, have you ever heard that phrase? Or Yep. Um, let's see. They were concerned about improving the quality of life for poor people. Um, so I think that's part of sewer socialism, just meaning they got down in the... You know, they got down on their hands and knees and really got in the dirt to help people. Um, they wanted uh, these immigrants coming in from Germany and uh, Eastern Europe and Poland and all kinds of places. They wanted to improve their quality of life. They wanted to give them better living conditions, and they wanted to create this uh, beautiful park where people could get out of this, you know, poor urban environment and go and enjoy themselves and you know, Central Park is still that outlet for us uh, here today. It's an amazing place. It's beautiful. Um, and there was a lot of opposition to it back in 1912 when uh, when Lund brought it up. But they eventually got it passed. And uh, it's uh, it's really one of the <clears throat> jewels of our city, that's for sure. Mm. And go back to Lund's political career, but let me ask you about his personal life. He was married twice. His first wife died. Yep. He married a, a rich uh, person from uh, her. Her family was in charge of a, a major, um, I think it was a textile company in New York City, Mabel Healy. That was his second wife, right? No, Mabel Healy was his first wife. Oh, his first. I'm sorry. Okay, yep. go ahead. Um and then uh, she dies of a heart attack in 1932 or 31, somewhere around there. And then um, he marries a rich widow from California whose name is escaping me at the moment. Well, I've got it here. It's Anita Oliver Jensen. There you go. Anita Jensen, right. She was uh, a political activist of her own during that time, and I guess her and her husband had been involved, but he passed away um, they met through Lund's sister, and within a year after poor Mabel passes away, George is remarried to this very rich widow from California, and that's why he spends much of his time later in life out in California, Southern California. Uh, well, he had two wealthy spouses, so that right. must have helped him, right, in terms of pursuing his politics? Uh, yeah, to some degree. I mean, it didn't help him stay out of jail during the Little Falls textile strike when he's arrested with four or five other guys from Schenectady, and he had the money to uh, post bail and, and get out of jail easily, but he he didn't do that because he, he wanted to stay with his comrades. So he spends a, a night in jail in Little Falls when he's mayor of Schenectady, once in October and then again uh, in November. And each time he could have just posted bail and left, but mm. he didn't. He stayed with his comrades, and they, they spent a night in the Little Falls jail. Um, what was going on in Little Falls? Where, and what there was did, uh, a textile strike going on. Uh, Little Falls, like Schenectady, had a huge population boom during that time, and Little Falls had, had a pretty good one uh, itself. So uh, they had plenty of immigrants flocking into that community to work in the textile industries. There are two major textile industries in Little Falls. So um, they uh, it started with um, Helen Schloss, a, a nurse who was hired by the rich people in Little Falls to come up and help them fight tuberculosis and other health problems. But she sees uh, how these people are living in t deplorable conditions. 
So she gets socialists involved in, in trying to improve that quality. Uh, and then the, the women started the strike. They went on strike because there's women and children working in these plants. It's not just men. That's the really uh, uh, deplorable thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, they, they, the women go on strike, and a few days later, the, the men follow. Um, the strike lasts for about three months in uh, October, November, and December of uh, 1912, mm. and then it ends in January. Hmm. Lund is arrested twice. Um, then the, he uh, is eventually, uh, well, let's see, let me get this right. He, uh, The judge reverses his uh, decision in like May of 1913. Lund was fighting a $50 fine uh, or 50 days in jail. And he said, I'm never going to, I'm never going to pay the fine. For quoting Abraham Lincoln, he was arrested for creating a scene in, by speaking in public in a in a in Clinton Park out there in Little Falls. Mm. But he said he's not going to pay fifty bucks for uh, you know speaking the words of Abraham Lincoln. So there's a trial, <clears throat> he's sentenced, but then they appeal, so he he doesn't have to go back to jail. But then eventually, a couple months later, early in 1913, the judge reverses his uh, decision and. One doesn't doesn't have to pay the fifty bucks, and he doesn't have to spend any more time in jail. Okay, George Lund was elected as a socialist mayor of uh, Schenectady in uh, nineteen eleven. Um, back to his you know his personal life. After he married the woman from California, he eventually moved to California. Yep he um, he lived in Schenectady up until like the, the mid nineteen thirties when he was. Excuse me, public service commissioner. Um, and then he, he had a, a house in the GE Realty plot. I, I think it was up until World War II. He also has a farm in Selkirk, and he has uh, his wife's home out in uh, California. Um, the family also came east often, though. They also had a summer home in Vermont that he went to on a regular basis. But he was um, basically... Uh, throughout the 1930s and into the 1940s, he was spending time in both California and Albany, in the Albany area. Mm. And he had five children, I believe, by the first wife or with the first wife. All those kids uh, are gone. Um, I did get to meet his daughter-in-law back in 2005, <clears throat> Maxine Lund, who's a wonderful lady. She lived in Scotia. I went over to her house twice and had two long conversations with her. Uh, Unfortunately, she passed away, I want to say 2006, at the age of like 93 or 94. Can you give us a sense of what Lund's critics said about him? I mean, you you described the things that he and Steinmetz and that he did. It sound good, you know, improving the schools. He was criticized for what people perceived as a, a change in his ideas. Um, he was kind of associated with the Republican Party a little bit. Then he becomes a staunch socialist, and then he becomes a Democrat. So people accused him of, you know, changing his political color to uh, accommodate the situation. However, he would argue that he never changed that much. Um, it was the uh, the society and culture that was evolving around him. He, in 1940, he sat down with a reporter from the Albany newspaper and 
talked about how uh, those policies that um, people thought made him such a radical socialist back in 1912 were the same ones that everyone accepted today. And, you know, he pointed to the health clinics, the free garbage pickup, the uh, creation of Central Park. Um, so he, he argued that he didn't change that much at all. It was, you know, the people around him who were changing and evolving and, and society as a whole. Mm. He uh, died in 1948? Yeah, at the age of 75, I want to say. Huh. And do you, has he left any kind of legacy in Schenectady? No, that's kind of the sad thing. Um, I mean, I had never heard of him growing up. Um, and I just kind of stumbled upon him once uh, going to an old Larry Hart book. And I just looked at his picture and I thought, well, this, he looks like a neat guy. I'm going to have to look into him because, you know, it was a socialist mayor, whoever knew. Uh, so that kind of got me interested way back in like 1999, 2000, right around there. Mm-hmm. And then the more I looked into him, the more I liked him. And um, I really couldn't believe that, you know, there wasn't a Lund school, there wasn't a Lund road. <laughs> uh, First Reformed Church does uh, remember him. They do have a few, they have a room named after him. Uh, so they remember him, but they're they're excited about this book, too. Yeah. Um, and you say he got his... Well, maybe we'll use another current buzzword, his progressive ideas from the fact that Schenectady was changing so with all the immigrants moving in in the early 20th century and all the problems they were having. Yeah, he, um, um, he was always uh, uh, predisposed to be liberal, I think. I, mean, I think some of us are just born that way. Uh, he went to Union Theological Seminary, which was a very liberal place. Um, but like I said, he was already heading on that path even before he went there. That's why he left Princeton. He found Princeton, uh, you know, just too strict, um, too conservative for his liking. And then uh, in Schenectady, uh, you know, he's dealing with the afterlife as a minister, but he sees all these poor people flooding into Schenectady, and he wants to do something to help them, you know, here and now. So that's why he kind of, you know, his life changes at that point, because, you know, why worry about somebody's afterlife when you can actually help them, you know, when they're on Earth. In the uh, current life. Yeah. And what happened to Charles Steinmetz, the GE scientist? Charles Steinmetz, uh, like I said, he was almost as popular as Babe Ruth and Herbert Hoover in the 1920s. He was really well known. Um, but he was uh, he was a dwarf. He only stood like four feet eleven, so he ha- always had health problems. He dies in 1923 at the age of 58. He was um, he'd gone on a cross country tour. He had met people like Douglas Fairbanks out in Hollywood. Uh, so Steinmetz was a real um, celebrity. He was you know the mm-hmm. Wizard of Schenectady. Um, uh, just a really popular guy. Right. He um, he gets exhausted from this train trip where he also met William Jennings Bryan. So he was such of a celebrity that people wanted to meet him. Uh, but he comes back to Schenectady and just is exhausted from this trip and then just kind of dies in his sleep uh, on a Monday morning, I think it was. 
in at the, the age of 58. Bill Buell is now the Schenectady County historian and is author of the book George Lunn, the 1912 Socialist Victory in Schenectady. New book by Bill Buell. Uh, it's out now. Uh, where is it available, Bill? Um, it's going to be at the Open Door Bookstore. Uh, it will be there now and uh, uh, a few other places, the Schenectady County Historical Society. And then um, it's going to be available online through Troy Bookmakers. Okay. Bill Buell joining us on the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore. 